0: Hello all and welcome to the Gestalt IT Rundown, your weekly look at the IT News of the Week. I'm your host, Rich Travolino, I'm an editor at Gestalt IT, and joining me from across this great nation of ours is the one, the only, the networking nerd himself, Tom Hollingsworth. Tom, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me, Rich. I'm ready to give it a go.
0: <laughs> well, let's get it started with a little news or not, nah, where we hit on the maybe the headline, give a little context for a story, and Tom will tell us if it is in fact newsy or not. First up here, we have uh, some Google news. Google announced general availability of its healthcare API to help healthcare providers translate and convert data stored in imaging systems and medical records software. Google's cloud is offered but not required as a central storage solution. I'm sure they would appreciate it, however. Microsoft Azure has a similar healthcare API designed to help its healthcare customers connect to electronic health records and other information sources. So this is not entirely new in the public cloud space, but uh, Google getting on board here. Given the timeliness, Tom, news or not?
1: It's not news until they figure out how to make, sell ads against it. When you pop up an MRI image and it's got, oh, need a knee replacement? Check out this doctor. <laughs> Would you like I, to I don't, heart valve? I don't understand why, why, why are they doing this? This this doesn't make sense. Other than hey, healthcare is a thing.
0: I mean, okay. R- a- API is is just a way to in- – for them, effectively, is just a way to ingest stuff into their cloud, which at some point will theoretically make them money or at least gain them market share, and they can sell services against that. So, I mean, that makes sense on its face, right? Do you want Google having access to your medical images? I'm not saying I don't. I- I'm not saying I do. I'm just saying from Google's perspective, it makes I, 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 there's, a, there's a use case for that is all I'm saying. Uh, next up here in uh, acquisitions that will actually seemingly happen news, it's been a year since NVIDIA announced it was planning to acquire Mellanox in a deal worth $6.9 billion. The two have been kind of cruising along since then, getting all of the regulatory approvals. And now the final regulatory hurdle seems to have been passed after receiving approval from China's antitrust authorities. Both Baidu and Alibaba are major customers for both companies. And with existing trade tensions, it wasn't quite sure if this deal would be approved either on an antitrust basis or uh, just be, just to spite one country or another. And that's essentially what held up the Qualcomm purchase of NXP. In the long run, uh, the whole Broadcom-Qualcomm acquisition was tied up on the U.S. side as well. The deal is now expected to close, though, April 27th. So, Tom, news or not.
1: This is news because this gives NVIDIA basically everything they need to go to compete with Intel. Um, you know, they, they have all the other chipsets. Mellanox. Um, if you don't know who Mellanox is, you're using their equipment. <laughs> you just don't know it because they've provided chips for a lot of other things in the past. This is just bringing them under that umbrella. Um, they do networking they do storage. They do a lot of other stuff. Yeah. This is news just because now there, I feel is a, com- a credible competitor to Intel in that space, and if you're an Intel person watching this, you better be paying attention
0: yeah, uh, really kind of uh, uh, you know kind of achieving that full stack play for a lot of what in, like nvidia's long term visions are so it's really interesting um, and and we will see how it proceeds uh, once uh, once it finally closes later this month. Uh, next up, Cisco is integrating its SD-WAN with uh, Google uh, Cloud Platform's Google uh, global network and Google Anthos Kubernetes platform, offering a new turnkey multi-cloud networking fabric called Cisco SD-WAN Cloud Hub with Google Cloud, not clunky at all in a name. Previews of the offering will be in the second half of 2020 with general availability expected in the first half of 2021. Cisco and Google pla- Cloud playing nice for SD-WAN. News are not here, Tom. This is
1: not really news to me because this is like the this is adding the last box to the checklist. Um, you support AWS, you support Azure. Um, nobody supports Oracle because they have their own with Telari, <laughs> but why would you want to? I mean, eventually you'll have support for every other cloud provider. Um, okay, great. Uh, no, and and I know that that kind of sounds like I'm nonplussed about the whole thing, but I don't really know what the use case list for. People who need SD-WAN and use GCP and use Cisco looks like, but it can't be that long. But I'm sure there's a lot
0: of dollar signs behind it because why else would you develop a technology like this? Someone got bags of cash as a result of this. Let's just let's just put it that way. Uh, next up here, Cloudflare launched the "Is BGP Safe Yet?" site, allowing people to check if their ISP is implemented uh, checking routes using resource publicly infrastructure to make the uh, BGP uh, protocol that's redundant pgp more stable and secure the site prompts a browser to load two pages one legitimately routed one invalid essentially simulating a route leak uh, which is what this is all meant to prevent isps that only load legitimate routes pass cloudflare says isps like ATT, what i'm using right now uh, the swedish telecom telia and japanese telecom ntt all pass among others there were others that passed with kind of varying shades of approval from cloudflare uh, while verizon comcast orange vodafone among many other isps were listed as failing uh, BGP Safe Yet site, Tom, news or not? I like this site. I think
1: Cloudflare does a lot of work behind the scenes to make things more, I don't know, safe, secure, um, robust. I mean, when you think about it, Cloudflare and half of the internet uses you already. If someone does something stupid in BGP, it makes you look bad. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I wrote a blog post and the title was pretty, pretty easy enough. BGP hell is other people because most <laughs> of the time, you know, whether it's uh, a, a Russian uh, ISP accidentally sending 80% of the world's traffic through their servers for 20 minutes and pack- capturing the whole thing or whatever else happens that causes BGP to go down on a regular basis. We've long since passed the point where we can trust that other people are going to do things right. That was the internet of the 60s. We live in the internet of the 20s now and assume people are going to do stupid things and create controls to prevent them from doing it. So thank you, Claude Flair, for at least pushing this idea
0: forward. Yeah, a little uh, little uh, public shaming of ISPs. Never uh, hurt anyone, I guess, other than some ISPs feelings. Um, sorry about that. I guess, whatever. And last up on News or Not, Microsoft announced it's developing a system that can distinguish between security and non security software bugs 99% of the time using machine learning, with the ability to identify critical, high priority security bugs 97% of the time. The system was trained on 13 million work items and bugs from 47,000 developers across GitHub and Azure DevOps repositories, with a data set approved by security experts, so looking at those and and kind of making sure everything's getting classified correctly. Microsoft says the model is in production internally and plans to open source the methodology on GitHub. Tom, news or no? Mm.
1: News, because we can programmatically find security bugs. doesn't mean we can programmatically stop people from... Creating them, but <laughs> no. Hey, one little step at a time. Um, once we have the ability to shame you for writing crappy code, then we can teach you how to not do it. Does this strike? Uh,
0: I'm... Does this strike you though as maybe? Yeah, I know they're saying they're going to open source the methodology, but that is a ambiguous enough term to say like, hey, we might have some secret sauce in there. If this was all of a sudden rolled out as a paid GitHub tier, where it's like, hey, why don't we just have our machine learning look for some bugs here and some security stuff? Um, I could see that being useful to a lot of uh, to a lot of organizations.
1: Galaxy brain on rich.
0: <laughs> all right. Uh, and next, first up here on our discussion, interesting story from the New York Times, where I go for all of my IT news. Uh, they were talking to three former Dropbox engineers, and they said that since 2018, Dropbox has offered bug bounties on Zoom vulnerabilities, as well as other services used by the company. Uh, Dropbox has previously announced that they've had vendor uh, bug bounties before, considering how many third parties are integrating into their service. I think it makes sense. This is the first time that we've actually seen a company named as a result of that. Uh, Dropbox has... Uh, kind of went as far as having their own security engineers review the bugs and look for related problems before passing them on to Zoom, which seems like an extra step there. The researchers said that when vulnerabilities were discovered, Zoom was slow to fix them, citing major vulnerability found at a 2019 HackerOne event in Singapore, which took three months to patch, and only after two related bugs with the same root cause were publicly made available. Tom... Have you ever heard of uh, of uh, of another company offering – doing bug bounties for their, like, integrated vendors or business partners or stuff like that? And how unusual it is for Dropbox to go that extra step for Zoom specifically?
1: It is not the most common thing. I mean, I would not expect to see a company like, I don't know, um, CDW really doing bug bounty stuff for WebEx. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, it means that Dropbox has enough investment in the platform that they want it to succeed. They, they want to fix the problems. Uh, they're literally paying people to do it. Um, (laughs) here's the thing though. And, and this is, this is a narrative that's come up over the last six weeks, seven weeks or so ever since, you know, zoom's, uh, usage has taken off like what? 250, 300%. Something crazy. Um, Yeah. So, and in, in, in an informal poll that was taken uh, in a Slack channel that I'm a part of the other day, basically, here's what it boils down to: Oh, Zoom's insecure and they steal all your information. Yeah, but Teams is a dumpster fire. <laughs> Cisco is an expensive dumpster fire. And who on earth still uses GoToMeeting? Uh, except for very specific
0: webinars. Which GoToMeeting and, and uh, ultimate... AKA RingCentral has had its own, uh, you know, uh, bevy of security issues in the past too. And privacy oh, no, no, no. That that That's totally
1: true. Mm. Every one of them has had security issues, vulnerability problems, performance issues. But let's sweep all that under the rug now because here's a whipping boy that we can take to the woodshed because Zoom did bad things and they've always done bad things. <laughs> mm-hmm. You're right. They have. And even knowing that things are not working the way they do, even seeing all the things that we've pulled apart, you're still using them you're still going to them and you're still preferring that platform over the other ones. And if you really, really want to give me about the, you're finding in Zoom and how you can't discuss top secret code word classified (laughs) briefing information on there, why don't you go shoot me a TikTok music reaction video about that? By the way, if you do that, the irony will cause your cell phone to combust, and then the people who are monitoring it where that application lives will get a notification, and they can let me know.
0: Do you think that these kind of uh, you know, third-party bug bounty reviews and that kind of stuff – are either more common than we maybe know about from other security teams or should be given the the level of integration. I'm thinking of like public cloud providers that kind of, you know, by, by API access, we are just talking about, kind of let a lot of different people into their systems in varying degrees, you know, essentially have data pipelines and stuff like that. I could see a lot of uh, companies theoretically benefiting from that so that they don't get these kind of disclosures, um, act you know, actively kind of putting their money where their mouth is uh, in regard to this, especially for, you know, especially when you're dealing with, you know, Zoom Zoom is, I I don't know, I I think maybe I thought Zoom was a bigger company than it was, but I can see for a lot of smaller startups where, um, you know, you see usage all of a sudden spike and you know that they are a a 10-person team or something that do not have an extensive security operation, I'm surprised we don't hear more about that um, from, like, public cloud providers, for example.
1: Yeah, I think it's a lot more common than we realize because they just have NDAs that prevent us from knowing about it. Um, And if it's not, it should be.
0: (laughs) All right, uh, next up here last week, Verizon announced it intended to acquire the video conferencing speaking of video conferencing, an event platform Blue Jeans Network, in a deal The Wall Street Journal reported was worth about five hundred million dollars. Verizon said they were targeting the acquisition for about a year, so kind of pre everyone being quarantined, and Blue Jeans was already a Verizon authorized reseller, so there was an existing relationship there. Verizon seems bullish about building in BlueJeans teleconferencing capabilities into their 5G rollout, which I've seen uh, some people kind of doing some hand-wringing about competition concerns. If Verizon has a blessed video conferencing solution, is Zoom and its rivals about to be services without a network? And do you see a teleconference land rush on the way, Tom? Mm,
1: No, I don't. And here's why. How many people who are watching this show knew that BlueJeans was a thing before Verizon announced that they were going to buy them? I, I mean, did because I've used it before in a very specific setting. It was a site license for the university. I did a video conference call with them before and they actually used it to record the, the conference. Mm-hmm. Okay. If I asked people to name the top five video conferencing apps that they use or have used, you would have named FaceTime before you named blue jeans. <laughs> I get that Verizon wants to say that they were on the cusp of this Mm -hmm. i'm sure that they were talks that they were going to acquire blue jeans because let's face it anything that generates more packets for verizon is good and verizon using blue jeans as a bundled app on android phones to do video conferencing probably makes the most sense because lord knows what the conferencing app that google is going to have next year is (laughs) going to be called even though it's probably still going to be hangouts in some form or another here's the ultimate problem though Just because Verizon owns it and pushes it doesn't mean that people are going to use it for the same reason that WebEx and GoToMeeting and Teams isn't getting a lot of use. Or, hell, if Slack suddenly came up with a video chat feature, I doubt people would use it as effectively as as they could because people want ease of use, people want familiarity. And I don't think that Verizon is going to be able to build those kinds of things into the platform, no matter how stable it is, to make people want to start using it. Now, to be fair, congratulations to the people at Blue Jeans. It's a great exit. Um, Verizon will probably take care of you. I mean, it's better <laughs> than being on your own. But ultimately, I don't see this gaining you any market share. I, I don't see us, you know, a year and a half from now being like, hey, let's hop on a quick Blue Jeans call to go over this, uh, this proposal. And no, no, let's be fair. If video is going to survive and be sustainable, we're still going to see it in the same rarefied air as we see everybody else. You don't go out and start a new cloud company today because you're immediately in eighth place. So you're still one place ahead of Google or (laughs) a cloud, but you don't go out and assume that you can solve the video chat problem, video conferencing problem by buying an existing company. Um, Good luck, Verizon. Let me know when you want to go if a t and t announces tomorrow that they're buying Zoom, mm-hmm. then we got a horse race.
0: yeah well, so I mean, to me, this is this seems like purely a b to uh, you know like a b to b play where, hey, you buy Verizon business internet and you know you you get. You know, get X tier of BlueJeans teleconferencing for free or something like that. And even still, like, how many of those kind of integrations are there and people still either don't realize that they're there or still prefer their own solution and that kind of stuff? I guess the concern would be is if, you know, in that initial 5G rollout, if they're getting, you know, kind of preferred packet status or whatever you want to say – um, to have, you know, clearly better video quality call or something like that. Or, you know, the the more sinister version is they degrade every other, you know, every, theoretically every other service. I think that's the concern. I I always think even with the state of net neutrality rules or lack thereof the way that they are, that's like a big black eye if that ever comes out for Verizon. So I would hope that there is enough competition in the ISP, like on the business ISP market, that they wouldn't want to do that anyway, right?
1: I would hope that they wouldn't do that. If only there was some kind of regulation in place that would make it
0: illegal for them to do that. Hmm. I mean, we we can dream, (laughs) Tom. Okay. Uh, Next up here a company coming, you know, kind of on the opposite end, Verizon, a a very big company, a new company on the scene. A startup called Alkira came out of stealth uh, with a networking as a service offering called Cloud Services Exchange to allow for simplified multi cloud networking. So let me lay it out for you here, Tom. They do this through a network of globally distributed uh, multi cloud. Pops, which handle routing and networking services, Akira presents customers with a point and click interface to select network services and clouds to connect to, essentially abstracting all of that from them. Which they claim uh, they can get cloud infrastructure up uh, set up in forty minutes. That's I'm going to say that's marketing, but the idea is that it's very quick. The company was founded by the founder Amir Khan, so there is a track record there um, for some you know some networking know how and and kind of. Uh, identifying how to make, like, ease of use and, and kind of streamline software-defined networking a thing. Uh, Alkira is providing clouds. Uh, you know, kind of the idea here is that Alkira will provide maybe a cloud-scale, colo cloud on-ramp uh, for a lot of businesses. Do you like what you're seeing in these initial announcements, Tom? I, need, I, I know we need to get a little bit more details, but, uh, you know, how does that sound to you as an initial pitch coming out of Stealth?
1: I mean, it's where a lot of companies who are building SD-WAN today are landing because there's no market for the hardware. Mm -hmm. There's no market for people um, that are trying to jump in and be like, oh, I'm going to provide you with hardware because everybody's doing that now. And all of the hardware providers have been purchased now, now that Palo Alto owns CloudGenix and VMware owns uh, VeloCloud and Cisco owns Viptela. I mean, there aren't really a whole lot left. So when you look at who's left behind, it's the service providers. Mm-hmm. I mean, the biggest, if you want to say unicorn out there that hasn't been purchased is Ariaka and they are offering a service. Mm-hmm. You can't buy a box from Ariaka. You rent a service from them. And that's where the value is now, um, especially for things like cloud on-ramp because I'm not just going to buy a box and then wave my hands and say, connect to Amazon. I need somebody to manage that for me. And for a company like alkira that's where the money is again great pedigree it's the folks from fellow cloud they may know something something about suan i've heard <laughs> um i'm trying to get a briefing scheduled with them like literally i got an email two weeks ago i'd never heard of this company because they're that deep in stealth mm. and then they come out of stealth and i'm like oh cool um need to learn more so stay tuned because as the, as this starts rolling out start seeing more about that we'll definitely have some updates here i'll probably have a, a a post about it on gestaltit.com in a month or so basically whenever we can get the briefing scheduled but so far i really like what i see and i'm very Curious to see where they go with it.
0: Yeah, it seems like they're they're aiming for where the puck is going. If we're going to use some business cliches, um, and and given the founding team, you know, it kind of it kind of demonstrates some faith, um, that you know they've kind of been there before. They've they've seen that before. And, uh, and you know, it ultimately, it'll come down to the execution, at least initially. I'm sure, you know, like any company coming out of stealth, it will be, you know, we'll be looking for some features, but it will maybe do one thing. You know, I, I'm interested to get the the, the briefing on it. So uh, we'll be looking forward to that when it's up. Next up here uh, is from a little bit more Google News. Google began rolling out BeyondCorp Remote Access this week. This is a zero-trust cloud-based remote access tool that requires verification of context to grant remote access to an application. All data is routed to a proxy which handles verification and reviews if a user has data access approval if they meet certain conditions to do so. This can allow admins to allow access only on machines up to date with patches and uh, providing some authentication on top of that. This is a late expansion of Google's BeyondCorp platform, which has been used internally by the company. Um, it's something that they've used for identity verification, not necessarily for remote access. But Tom, is this set to replace this, This not specifically beyond this remote access implementation by Google, but is this kind of zero trust approach uh, set up to replace the traditional VPN for remote access?
1: You know, I, I don't know. This is... I, I don't, I don't know where Google's trying to go with this, to be honest with you. I, I, I get that this is, there's a value in this, mm-hmm. but uh, okay. Literally all you're doing is checking boxes, zero trust, the cloud enabled, <laughs> whatever. I mean, you know, just, just looking over the specs, is, is it like a reverse? Is this so I can do remote support? I mean, these grand pie in the sky ideas that people have for for tools like this never work out. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like buying a, a $300 screwdriver set and using them as whistles because that's what I need them to do now. So I, 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 I don't know. I'm going to have to take a wait and see approach on this one, to be honest with you.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting given that you know, I don't know if necessarily if there was no COVID nineteen that this would even be out there. If this wouldn't just be something that Google is using internally and dog fooding, and maybe building into a larger uh, offering, or and uh, you know, kind of realizing the situation is we might as well roll this out. It's you know, it's it's good enough for us. We'll we'll you know provide it to our customers. I didn't see a pricing tier or anything like this. It seemed like this was just being um, uh, rolled out to uh, to G Suite and Google Cloud users. Um, as an option. So, um, you know, if it can, if it can work into your workflow, and and you have security concerns that a VPN can't address, that's it. I, I it's an interesting approach. But yeah, I don't know necessarily how that rolls into a broader vision, other than Google doing weird. Googly stuff, uh, ultimately.
1: So the other thing there, and this is actually something that I learned from the guys at LightStep a couple of years ago when they did Cloud Field Day. Um, just because Google has a tool to do a thing doesn't mean that you need a tool to do. <laughs> um, that. This is the biggest problem. I, I, I wrote a blog post about this recently. When you think about the ways, it, it, this was actually in the BGP post. People do things in a certain way because they need scale and they need speed. And they don't need things like safety. So that's why you see things like, you know, the guy who has a nail gun that has the safety guard cut off. Why? Well, it saves me three seconds going and putting it in. Yeah. It also means that if you are an untrained professional, you're going to put a nail through your foot sooner or later because (laughs) of the likelihood of that to happen. So don't just use something because Google says you need to use it. Investigate the research use case for what you need and then find a tool that fits the need. Don't try to change your need to fit the tool because Google says it's a good tool. You're going to cause massive problems.
0: All right, and finally here, uh, Amazon updated its Edge Snowball offerings, aka Amazon ships some AWS to your location. The actual Snowball Edge storage optimized hardware is getting an upgrade, uh, going from uh, going up to forty vCPUs running at three point two gigahertz and eighty terabytes. Uh, I'm sorry, eighty gigabytes of RAM. Eighty terabytes would be quite a lot of RAM, uh, along with eighty terabytes of storage and a one terabyte SSD to kind of uh, speed application performance. There's also an option to tether up to twelve Snowballs into a single S3 bucket for almost one. Petabyte of data, useful if you're using these snowballs to maybe uh, you know export data uh, quickly via Express, SneakerNet, Amazon style. Perhaps more interesting though is AWS OpsHub for Snow devices, which offers a GUI for management configuration uh, that can be done offline at secure locations, so you don't have to worry about things going over the internet. Previously, all of this was going over a command line, which I did not realize, and seems. Just kind of weird for Amazon to do. AWS is also shipping all Snowballs with identity and access management tools because why weren't they doing this before? I I don't know. Uh, but Tom, my big question, the GUI is my, my what interests me the most. Does this make it an even easier cloud migration path for organizations? And do you see this breaking down any barriers or is anyone that's interested in a Snowball to offload some stuff and eventually send it to the cloud? They're going to figure out the, the CLI stuff anyway. This snowball
1: to me has always been such a randomly specific use case for very, <laughs> you know, direct things that I, I, I always look at. So I, I have this old, um, I, and I've talked about this before. There's an old tool that I used to use when uh, Cisco was transitioning from traditional access points to lightweight access points. Mm-hmm. Um, you needed to do some configuration work on the back end to make them work, and someone wrote a wrapper around the CLI commands that basically was like the worst coded vb app ever written like you could only run five of them at a time you had to stop the app every 45 minutes or it ate all the ram on your system but if you tried to do the commands on the command line you would fail every time because like they had some kind of magic sauce that made it work better um that snowballed to me in a nutshell hi we're gonna ship you a a virtual briefcase full of hard drives And then you ship it back to us full, we ingest it and now you're in the cloud and you don't have to pay us the insane bandwidth cost of ingesting things into the cloud normally. If there's still somebody out there that thinks that a snowball, snowmobile, snow starship, whatever the crap we're gonna call it this year is, like if that's still a valid use case, cloud isn't as adopted as people would want us to believe because ain't nobody needs to ingest that much data. So I feel like this is just kind of like polish, uh, maybe not polishing and turd. How about shining a snowball? We're putting a little extra niceness on the top because maybe now ingesting data into the cloud isn't something that I want my senior engineers working on. It's something that my junior engineers should take care of, but I want to put guardrails on it so they can't screw anything up.
0: Uh, also, just the idea of having 12 snowballs just, like, packed all together, like, just hacked together with some cables and stuff like that to make this giant one petabyte S 3 pool is just hilarious to me. But uh, in, like, our, in a recent – the world's
1: worst land part. That's what it is.
0: <laughs> in, in, a, uh, in a recent uh, webinar we actually did with Commvault, we were talking about uh, cloud disaster recovery. And they actually cited this as, you know, that use case of why you need this briefcase full of, you know, you're moving off tape. You have a bunch of stuff that you need to move. Um, you uh, Again, you don't want to incur those huge bandwidth costs. So uh, that specific thing, I can see a lot of organizations kind of, you know, have a, having adopted cloud for production and stuff like that, but not necessarily moving their DR or only slowly kind of experimenting with that, wanting to take that jump and needing that on-ramp, that like very physical <laughs> on-ramp to to get all that data to the cloud. I could definitely see that as a use case, whether you're adding, you know, you're you're increasing uh you know cpu and and ram by you know 66% i'm sure that makes things faster i'm sure that you know your your ec2 instances you're running locally to get everything started goes a little smoother um but yeah ultimately i don't think this just the the addition of GUI doesn't change the game but it, it's again it's just surprising to me that amazon wasn't there kind of from the beginning although maybe that just showed they didn't realize how um how much need or or uh, demand there would be for this that they didn't have that developed already yeah all right, well, that just about does it for the Gestalt IT Rundown. Remember, this show is available as a podcast as well as live on YouTube every Wednesday at 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time at youtube.com slash video. And you can also remember to check out all of Tom's great stuff. Tom, where can people find more of your stuff if they're so inclined?
1: Um, the easiest way to get a hold of my content is to uh, check out GestaltIT.com. Uh, I've been writing a lot of articles recently, and I just premiered a new video series called Tom Versations because that's the coolest name ever. Um, but it's a you know ten fifteen minute video where I dive into a, a technical topic and we discuss it. Uh, this one was about strangely enough SD WAN and security, so you can get some thoughts around that there. But uh, look for more of that content coming out soon. If you're a person that likes the dulcet tones of my voice explaining technology, I promise you it's the easiest way to fall asleep.
0: So if you are a human, please, uh, please tune in. Uh, remember, uh, we also have the videos available on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Gestalt IT. And we'll be back next Wednesday to talk about the IT News of the Week. In the week, that was. Until then, for myself, for Tom Hollingsworth, for all of us in the Gestalt IT family, here's wishing you and yours to have the most super sparkly of days.